in a Bible that's page 981 in the Bible for Bible there. Uh, First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 is where we are going to be looking today. Uh, it's good to see everybody here this morning that is able to be here. I know we got a lot of people out as we pray for all of them. Uh, some people with illness, uh, some people, of course, with uh, traveling as the summer kind of winds down. Uh, it's a lot of different things going on. Uh, my family is, of course, in Uvalde uh, for my great uncle's funeral, uh, which will take place tomorrow. I'll leave uh, this afternoon to go up for that, and Brother Donald do a devotional tonight that I know you will enjoy. Uh, and we will uh, do that after your prayers for them. Um, there is, as I mentioned before, there was some. They're doing an autopsy of different things to determine the exact causes of his death because they found his body in the water. Uh, there's some bruising and stuff on his face and his uh, wrist that makes it look like he probably fell over the railing in, uh, and maybe he tripped, maybe he was reaching for something or just can't hit himself. Uh, and so I know that it's been very hard on his widow and, of course, on my uh, grandmother also. So pray for them. Uh, that God will take care of them. I'm grateful. Uh, I went down yesterday with her and uh, planned the funeral and got back at about uh, <laughs> this morning. Uh, God kept me very safe. But you notice that I didn't get over here until about 1045. That was why. So uh, we had a good safe trip. Um, believe it or not, there's a lot of construction between here and San Antonio. And uh, I tried to come in the back way and back way was closed and it was <laughs> Yeah, well, in, in any case, we need to care about that. None of you are going to Uvalde because there's nothing there. So uh, we will continue to pray for them and look and uh, ask for God's uh, protection for them. We're going to read through 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, and then we'll pray and then we'll see what God has for us this morning. It says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined to know, not know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the, in the power of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the ways that you love us and care for us, for the ways that you provide for us, Lord. We also ask that you help us to see that we are weak, Lord, that we're fragile, that we're trembling creatures, and that when we trust in ourselves, that there's no foundation for us, Father, but that when we trust in your spirit and your power, Lord, we can do all things through you when you strengthen us. Let's ask, Father, that as we read your word today, that you convict us, Lord, that you empower us to share your message, that Make it your will, Father, for us to represent you well to a lost and dying world. I ask these things in Jesus' name. <coughs> As we read through 1 Corinthians, you'll remember the last few weeks we've been looking here. Paul is really correcting the Corinthians over and over again. I told you that Corinth was the most modern city of the ancient world. Uh, it could be the first letter to the Americans. It's, uh, it was a world that was marked by personality cults. The world that was marked by sensuality. It was a world that was marked by wealth, by power. It was a world that's very much like ours. 
The problem was this had infiltrated even into the church. And so some people in the church were saying, well, you know, I am a Paul man. And some were saying, well, it's all Peter for me. And some said, well, if you're not living, if you're listening to anybody except for Jesus, then you've done this all wrong. And so they were breaking into these little factions. The problem with factions is that when I break into a faction, suddenly everybody in the other faction is my enemy. And the people that are in my faction cannot do anything wrong. Okay? And if um, you don't believe that, then I would encourage you to get able and watch the news and see, you know, pick a partisan figure and see if they can say anything nice about the other party and switch over to the other side and see if they can say anything nice about you, right? And you have this, this constant divisions and this constant bickering, and our question becomes less, what is true and whose side are you on? And that happens in churches. Christians say, well, you know, I really like this person, I really like their style, I really like this, I really like that. And we make everything that we do about everyone except God. And when that happens, there's a ripping that takes place. And that ripping doesn't just hurt some people. That ripping hurts everybody. I'm going to tell you that in a personality conflict, in a division, whether that division's in a church or in a family or with your friends or wherever, the people that win that argument, the people that win that conflict, still lose. The people that lose, lose. And you've seen that played out in your family. You've seen that played out in different places. That was the problem in court. But then at the end of chapter 1, it seemed like Paul was just kind of changing gears all of a sudden. Because he started talking about wisdom and foolishness. But of course he wasn't changing gears at all. He was saying the reason that the Corinthians were broken up into these little factions is that they were obsessed with the wisdom of the world. They said, well, we're going to do things the way that everybody else does things. But Paul says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. See, Paul says, the reason you're breaking into divisions, the reason that everybody wants to pick a side, the reason everybody wants to be about certain people instead of the message, is that you are fools. If you're not thinking the way that God thinks, said, if you thought the way that God thinks, then you would be wise and then you wouldn't be doing the things that you're doing. Wisdom is the ability to live well. What wisdom mean? You can be smart and not be very wise. You can be wise and not be very smart in the sense of book smart. Wisdom is the ability to know what to do. So in the Bible, when it talks about craftsmen, you know, carpenters or uh, uh, people that are, are making uh, garments, Sewers? I don't know. Seamstress. Okay. All right. Um, I had uh, plenty, of, plenty of coffee today, but it was all before I slept. <laughs> my brain is, is out to lunch. If I say anything wrong, just uh, forgive me. <laughs> just, uh, don't take it to heart. He was having a bad day. Um, Next week, do that same excuse over and over again. Just assume I'm having a bad day. These different people were called wise at their craft. So they were good at what they did. And so I don't know about you, but I would like to be wise. Like, 
I'd like to know what to do in different situations. But the problem is, you know, we're really patchy people, aren't we? We're wise in some situations, and then something else will come along, and you'll make a decision, and then later you'll look back on it, and you'll say, what in the world? <laughs> some of you have made decisions that at the time you were so confident of and so sure of. And when you look back, you can describe it as everything but wise. And, you know, the Bible says in a uh, multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. There's hundreds of counselors, there's wisdom. So if everybody you know, if all the wise people that you know are saying, what in the world? It's probably not a wise decision that you're about to make, okay? There's, there's, there's exceptions to that. You know, you are a, you're a doctor and all of your friends are not doctors and all of your friends are saying, what do you think you're doing? You may have a special expertise there. But 95% of the decisions that you make, you are not any smarter than the people that are scratching their heads wondering what you think you're doing. That's wisdom is knowing what to do. I'd like to be wise. I think you'd like to be wise too. The problem is there's two different standards of wisdom. You can be wise where the people around you are going to say, wow, you're so clever. You just know exactly what to do every time. You do everything the way it should be done. But when everybody says that about you, you are not wise in God's eyes. Because the way that everybody thinks things need to be done is not the way that God says things need to be done. And so at the end of chapter 1, we saw this really powerful thing. He explained to us that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But us who are being saved is the power of God. He said, do you want to know God's way of doing things? So imagine that I told you that my plan was to save the world. And the way that I was going to save the world was that I was going to send my son to go and be tortured and executed. See, death is not how you win, right? The wisdom of the world says if you want to win a war, you do it by killing, not by dying. You do it by conquering, not by being conquered. You do it by showing people who's boss. But God says, I've got a totally different wisdom for you. He says, my wisdom is that the only way you'll ever have any power is through self-sacrifice. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. If any man seeks to save his life, he shall lose it. But if any man loses his life for my sake, he shall find it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall bear here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they are the kingdom of God. And that's what Blessed are they which do mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. <laughs> That's not the way that we think. And I quoted this for you last week, but I'm going to do it again. The biggest one of all, the last beatitude. Blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Blessed are you. Because I don't think you're using the word blessed the way that we use the word blessed. And then he said, rejoice. And I, you know, blessed is a pretty churchy word. I can kind of say, well, you know, blessed means something different. But then Jesus says, rejoice. That's a pretty normal word. He said, but you know, maybe there's something else. And then Jesus says, and be exceedingly glad. Glad is a very normal word. Glad is not the kind of thing that I think about when I think about people persecuting me and hating me and saying all manners of evil about me falsely. Jesus says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. 
for some parts of you to pay to follow your for some parts of you to follow the prophet who comes before you. Jesus says, You are not the first one to be mistreated for doing the right thing. And if you decide that you're going to be like them and you're going to be blessed are the strong, blessed are the pushers, blessed are the ones who are in charge, then God says you're never going to get ahead because that's not the way the world really works. That's the way the world seems to work. But it's God's world. And now all this today ties into one really simple thing. Paul uses himself as a case in point. He's going to talk today about sharing the gospel. Did you know that Paul was a lousy preacher? Well, I don't believe Paul was a lousy preacher. You know, he wrote most of the New Testament, a third of the New Testament. He was, uh, everywhere he went, people were getting saved left and right. You know, he, he established all these different churches. He couldn't have been a bad preacher. I have it on the screen for you, but I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians 10.10. 10. Paul's opponents say, for his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Did you know that? Did you know that Paul was a lousy speaker? When people looked at Paul, they said, oh, you know, it's contemptible. That's a pretty normal word too, isn't it? Contempt. Listen, when people heard Paul speak, they hated the way that he spoke. If we had Paul here as a guest speaker and took up an offering for him, nobody would give any money. So he needs to yell more. His voice didn't even start with the same letter. What's wrong with this man? That his letters are powerful, but when he comes bodily, he's weak. Maybe some of you know that Paul was almost blind. He was not able to write his own letters for the most part. Uh, that's what most scholars believe his thorn in the flesh was. But at one point he says, see what large letters I write to you with my own hand. Maybe you read that and you think, oh, that means he wrote really long letters. No, it's literally large letters. He said, for me to write to you, you see how big the letters are in the end of this letter so I can see it. That's why Paul always has somebody writing with him. Because he has a secretary who has to write down what he says. Paul's almost blind. You've got Paul, almost blind. There's this description of him that was written like 150 years after he died, but it's the only one we've got. It says, you know, he had a big forehead, was hunched over, and he's just a, a weak physical presence. We don't know what Paul looked like for sure, but we know that his opponents could say, yeah, he writes nice letters, but have you seen the guy? Have you heard him preach? It's terrible. You know, somebody needs to send him back to school to go learn how to speak. That gives me comfort when I can't think of the word seamstress on a <laughs> Paul is weak. He's a lousy speaker. So he says, look, if you want proof that I really believe that wisdom is not what you think wisdom is, he said, I just want you to look at me as an example. So verse 1 here, of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, brethren, I want to notice that for you, uh, brethren, and I, brethren, is the way Paul introduces new sections in 1 Corinthians. If you're ever reading 1 Corinthians, keep your eyes out for that. But also, brethren, Paul's very mad at them. 
He's not mad at them the way he's mad at the Galatians, but he's 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 upset with the Corinthians. They have messed up a lot of stuff. Uh, if you were here Wednesday night or Sunday night, we read about how um, at the when they were taking the Lord's Supper in Corinth, by the time it was over, some of them had not yet gotten anything, and some of them were drunk, and some of you know stuff is it's a mess. But Paul still says, "I brethren," he still sees them as the brothers and sisters in Christ. Still says, "You know, you are God's people. You are a wreck. You are you have your priorities out of whack. You are focusing on people instead of focusing on God." You are nothing but problems for me. You're an embarrassment to me. You're suing each other. One of you is in a romantic relationship with his stepmother, and the rest of you are bragging about that, about how enlightened you are. That you're a mess. But you are still God. He still says, I brethren. That's pretty encouraging to me. And he says, you know, you people, wow. But you're still God's children. And we're still all a family. So when you start to get frustrated with some of your brothers and sisters in Christ, or maybe some of your brothers and sisters and mom and dad, you to remember, okay, you know, they may be a mess. Hopefully, it's not as big of a mess as there was in Corinth. And Paul still comes to them from this place of love and relationship and says, I, brethren, I just think that's really important. I, brethren, when I came to you, remember I was here before, and I came not with excellency of speech and of wisdom. And all Paul's opponents in the crowd said, amen, that's right. You sure did not come with excellency of speech. And wisdom. You didn't have any lofty speech. That's literally what the word excellency means. If you've got another translation, it probably says exalted or lofty. But you didn't come with, I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom. And you didn't listen to Paul and said, wow, that Paul is so smart. He said, what an idiot. He's going around talking about God being crucified? Crucified. I mentioned this last week, I'm going to mention it again. I think it's so important. We think of the word crucified, and it almost sounds holy. Yes, crucified. We, you know, it starts with the same letter as Christ. So Christ was crucified. Sounds like a poem. But of course, in the Roman world, crucifixion was so merciless a form of death that the Roman government was not allowed to perform it on Roman citizens. The reason Paul was ultimately beheaded while Peter and Jesus were crucified is that Paul was a Roman citizen. It was illegal to crucify him. Crucifixion was an agonizing death that normally took days where they crucified you on a street corner so everybody could look. And I, I told you last week, Jesus was probably about as far above the ground as I am on this stage because they wanted everybody to get a good look at him, be able to spit him and smack him around or whatever they wanted to Crucifixion was a slow death by suffocation. If you didn't bleed out through your hands and your feet, crucifixion was the weight of your body crushing your own lungs. Crucifixion was a punishment reserved normally for people who had committed treason. So, and I, I said this also last week, and I hate to repeat myself, except 
is so important. Wisdom is not saying the Son of God came down, was killed by a lynch mob, and if you put your trust in him, then you will be forgiven. So that's exactly what happened. There was no wisdom in what Jesus was saying, what Paul was saying. They looked at him and said, what a fool. He just doesn't know the way the world works. You don't get anything for nothing. What's he talking about grace? It's so naive. If you want anything in this world, you've got to earn it. Love. He needs to understand that you've got to look out for number one. That's wisdom. There's always people trying to sell you some kind of wisdom, but usually it comes in a very slick form. Different. Watch TV commercials and just think about what they're saying. If you switch to this brand of trash bag, your kids are going to start picking up after themselves. You know, your family is just going to be so happy, you'll never have a mess again. Look at the way she's smiling, taking out the trash because it's not breaking. You know, she's dancing with the trash bag out. So, that's excellency of speech. Look how well-produced that commercial is. Look how wise. Yes, if I buy something, good things will happen. But look, that's not how it works. And, uh, you, turn, you know, they, we see a lot, of course, of commercials for uh, alcohol. You know. I've never seen one. You know, they put at the end of it, please drink responsibly. But never in the body of the commercial is there, here's somebody who used our product and now they're in rehab. <laughs> Great. I haven't seen my family in five years because I lost my job. You know, here's the car that I wrecked and the people whose lives I ruined. They don't put that in those words, do they? They slickly produce it. Look, if you buy our product, you know, models are going to fall down from the sky. They're going to say, look how wise this man is drinking this medical drop. And everybody's going to love it. They package it up, they wrap it up, they put a bow on it. Excellency of speech and wisdom, you think you know that makes sense. You don't think that's bad. Like, you look at it and say, yeah, if I buy this product, my life will be better. And I know that people believe that because there are products that get advertised, but then people go out and they rent them. You go in the store, you say, look at this couch. Look in the picture. Look how happy the people are sitting on this couch in the picture. If I got this, we'd just start having family dinner and we'd play Monopoly and look how happy they are when they get this couch. I can't afford this couch, but look, if I rent it for $28 a month until I die, I can have it for just $25,000. It's great. And I'll be so happy that it won't matter. That is the wisdom of the world. Nothing down. Excellency of speech. Let's look it up. They never come out and say it, do they? You know, when you look at the, the bank, has got these buildings up now, you know. 1% down on your home. Nice billboard. I looked into getting a billboard, just curious how much it would cost. It's like $600 a month. Okay, we'll be all right. Word of mouth, you go tell people. <laughs> <laughs> the, I'll give you $100. Whoever brings the most people will say $500 every month. would be great. These billboards won't fit down. You know what they don't say? Like repossession in six short months, right? <laughs> like, 
Hurry now, buy while the housing market's overinflated by 75%. Hurry, hurry, hurry. You know, I mean, there's not a picture of a house underwater. So the world's always trying to sell you something. And they do a good job of it. There's one reason, there's lots of reasons the church shouldn't be concerned with entertaining people. But one reason is that we will never do it as well as the budgets of the world. You know, I can't entertain you. Grateful we've got gifted musicians singing and stuff, but you know, you can go and uh, turn on your phone and you can listen to the best musicians in the world or whatever. I'm not, you're not gonna, we're not going to be able to compete. We don't have the sound equipment to compete. We've got really no, We don't have the sound equipment. You can't compete on, with the world on the world's terms for a lot of reasons. One reason is that you'll never win, another reason is that it'll never work. And I really, when I came to you, I didn't come with those things to declare to you the testimony of God, or some translations say the mystery of God. It's the same idea. I didn't come. <coughs> I didn't come to you declaring God's word wrapped up in a nice package. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and crucified. So when I came into town, I decided I was going to have one message, and that message was going to be Jesus. And the only way I was going to talk about Jesus was as the crucified one. So Paul did not come into Corinth and preach a beautiful Christmas message. Maybe we've got a lot of nativity. Paul didn't do that. Paul picked the most objectionable part of the Christian message, the central. But he picked the most objectionable part of the Christian message, and he parked on it. He picked the most offensive thing. And he parked there. It's still offensive. People really understood it. You know, now we've got this Christianized language. People wear little crosses around their neck. That's fine. I'm not mad at you. Real little cross around your neck. If you want, but I was saying, in the ancient Roman world, I told you the Roman citizens couldn't be crucified. People in polite society wouldn't use the word crucifixion. It was such a gruesome, torturous way to die. The reason that it's so offensive, though, let me step back on it again. You say, well, you know, that's just so bloody, that's so, you know, what, what, what about But here's the really offensive part of the message. When I tell you that Jesus was crucified for your sin, he died for your sin, I'm telling you that you are so bad to the core that there was nothing that could fix you short of God becoming a man and dying in your place. I'm telling you, you are so bad that I could not send you through a 10-step program and fix you. You're so bad that I couldn't give you some gum or a patch or something and change your habits. You're so bad that the only thing that could possibly change you was the fresh start that comes from completely dying in a completely new life. Well, that hurts my feelings a little bit. I think that I'm pretty happy. That's why the message of the cross is so offensive. Paul says, I determined not to say anything else. You know, he could have said some nice things. Well, you know, you're made in the image of God, and that's true. You know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. He's ordained good works for you. That's true. But he said, I stuck on this one thing. Christ is crucified. Say, well, I don't feel that bad. That's our problem, isn't it? 
we have been trained by the wisdom of our world, okay? That's what I'm telling you, the wisdom of the world is selling you something. The world tells you the problem is outside of you and the solution is inside of you. All the problems in your life are caused by this or that on the outside. And if you just change those things, I'm going to move to a new neighborhood. I'm going to go, you watch a movie, I'm going to go, and I'm going to marry the right person, and after I marry the right person, all of my enemies are going to come and apologize. I'm going to live happily ever after. I've done a lot of weddings. I haven't seen that. You know this too, but you've got two people and they get married, and he's got some problems and she's got some problems. They come together, you know what happens to their problems? They pile Now they've both got both of their problems. The world says, no, if you just find the right person, and you don't even have to find the right person, if you buy the right ring, they'll become the right person. So they feel that problem. <laughs> if you buy the right dress, my wedding is not going to be right. My life is dress. Lost one of my parents for his house. I'm sure everybody saw the uh, Albert Angelo going out of business and stuff. The newspapers, all these people that had uh, bought their dresses already and paid for them, and they couldn't get their dresses for their wedding. That's terrible. Well, what's more terrible is these people said, you know, I spent $30,000 on this dress I was going to wear one time, and now I can't wear it at all. <laughs> Makes you cry a little bit. <laughs> so, the, um, that message of the world is you get the right stuff, you do the right things, your problems are on the outside, so change your outside. Go on the right vacation. Everything will be okay. You just need to change your surroundings. You just need to change your circumstances. You get that at every level of media. Get it in advertising, get it in movies, get it in music. I'm going to go, I'm going to tell my boss off, and then my life's going to be wonderful. <laughs> I've still got all the problems that I had before, and now I'm unemployed. <laughs> the wisdom of the world is foolishness. Say, well, the solution's on the inside. I've just got to pull myself together. I've just got to stick my chin up. I've got the I've got the solutions to my problems if I can just get rid of the problems on the outside. But the Bible says the problem is on the inside. The problem is not that I'm in this situation or I live in this neighborhood or I've got this house or this car or whatever. The problem is that I have a heart that is never satisfied. The problem is I have a heart that wants to be in control of every circumstance. The problem is that I've got a heart that's a rebel against the God who made the world and will not do the things the way that that God designs for them to be done. When I was uh, in high school, uh, I did a Simple Computer Solutions Incorporated. I went around doing computer consulting for businesses. When I started wearing glasses, people think I was only talking. So I went in. It's a true story. Quit wearing contact. I made more sales when I was wearing glasses. Um, like 16, graduate, I graduated high school a little early, and so I said, I want to start fixing computers, I can do this, I don't this stuff. And so I went and did businesses, and they put me on retainer and stuff. Everybody's got much money since there. Anyway, so I go into these different places, 
And this is my favorite story of all time about that. Okay, I did free work for churches. Um, and so there was this Episcopal church in Alabama that called me, and I was always over there. Awesome. I shouldn't have said free work for churches. I shouldn't have said $10 work for churches, because then they at least would have looked at it before they called me. But um, <laughs> I, get over, I, they, I lived in Manville at that time. This church is downtown Alabama. Pretty good little drive. So I come over there one day, and they said the fax machine broke. You can't get any faxes. It was an emergency. One, 2009, what taxes do you have that are an emergency? But, hey, you're working. So, two, <laughs> I get there and I go to the fax machine. And as sure as I'm standing here, there's a little message on the fax machine that says, please insert. <laughs> and so when we were in computer repair, we called that a picnic error. <laughs> Problem in chair, not in computer. <laughs> and that was a, that was the number one source of problem we had. Have you tried letting somebody else do it? Um, <laughs> constantly. All, all that just had to get that story out. <laughs> I'm not mad at all. <laughs> um, life. Problem in chair, not in okay. Most of the problems that you have in your life, I hate to be the one to break this to you. Most of the problems you have in your life are self-inflicted. And I bet that if you start thinking about some of your problems, oh, no, no, not me. It's been based on making decisions the way that made sense to a worldly way of thinking, you know, once I do this, everything's going to work out. And ignoring God's way. So Paul comes in, he says, look, I had one message for you. That was Jesus and crucified. My one message for you was the offensive message that the problem in you was so deep that it had to be scrubbed out with blood. The problem in you was so deep that it could only be eradicated by death. The problem in you was so deep that it could never be solved by you, but it required Jesus, the king, to come and lay down his life. Now you want to share your faith. You know, you say, well, I'm just not smart enough to tell people about Jesus. I don't know all the answers. And what if they start asking me questions about Malachi or some book? The Old Testament. Heaven forbid you read the Old Testament. Okay? I just don't know anything. I don't know enough to talk to people about Jesus. Do you know what you need to know to talk to people about Jesus? Paul says, Paul knew a lot. Okay, Paul basically had two PhDs. Paul went to the best Greco-Roman schools, and in the Jewish school, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was such a famous rabbi, we have records of him independently. So Paul had studied the top Jewish schools. He probably had the Old Testament memorized. Paul had the best Greek learning. When the time called for it, he could quote Greek and poets and all kinds of different things. He knew all those things. But when he came to Corinth, he said, I determined to only know one thing, Christ and crucified. Do you want to be able to talk to people about Jesus? Brace yourself. All you need to know is that is one verse. I'm going to make you memorize the verse. For God so loved the world, 
begotten Son, the Christ, and the Christian Son. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but everlasting life. If you can explain that verse to somebody, look, you should have perished, but Jesus perished instead. He was crucified. Should have had everlasting life. He should have had everlasting life. He laid his life down so he could take it up again and take you with him. That's all that you need to know. And you say, well, I've got to have all of these answers. We'll see that in verse 5. Look, he says, and you say, I get so nervous, though, I just get tongue-tied, like Moses. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, too, Moses talking to a bush. The bush says, hey, you know, God speaking out of the bush, says, you know, I want you to go be my messenger. And Moses, I can't talk, I can't speak to heaven. To a talking bush. <laughs> and God says, you know, I can let anything talk. I'm the one that makes the mouth. And Moses turns to the bush and says, I don't know. Let somebody else go. You know, somebody who's a better speaker. The bush says, well, I've never been to college day in my life. My last part didn't So he says, Paul says, you want to talk about being weak? He said, I was so weak. You said my speech was contemptible. You said I was weak in my person. I gave you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul says, my knees were knocking together when I came to you. But there would not have been a church in court if Paul hadn't gone. So we just need to be a really imposing, confident person. Well, Paul wasn't. <laughs> Jesus was so gentle the Bible says that a smoking flax, he wouldn't quench, and a bruised reed, he wouldn't break. Jesus was so gentle that if you know, if you had touched a, a smoking candle wick as gently as Jesus touched people, you wouldn't have extinguished it. And if you had a piece of blade grass that was mostly bent over, Jesus would have walked on it so quietly as not to have broken. Not literally. He means that for people who were bruised, people who were broken, people who were almost extinguished. Jesus came to them with such gentleness and compassion that when anybody else would have destroyed them, he was able to build them back up. Your weakness, your fear, your trembling may just mean that you realize how important what you're doing is. Move on verse 4. Time flies when you're having fun. He says, And my speech and my preaching, that's my logos and my charisma, my, my message and the way that I said it, my, my speech is the way that I spoke, and my preaching is what I said, the content of what I said. My oratory, my message, and this messenger were not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power. Paul says, I didn't win you over with clever speech. He said, I didn't win you over with a well-constructed message. He says, the only thing that I brought was the Spirit of God and the power of God. He said, well, that is true. Paul was a weak speaker. He was weak in person. What I can tell you is that the promise that God, the first promise God made to Paul is still true. Speak, don't hold your peace, because I am with you. 
Paul says, look, I came with two things. The demonstration of the Spirit and power. You say, well, I'm so weak, though. You know, nobody's going to listen to me. Yeah, Paul was like that, but it's still a bad thing. You know, it'd still be better to not be weak. Because if you're weak, you're nervous, you don't know that much, you can actually be more effective than somebody who is. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When, if I talk to somebody, and I pull out all the stops and come up with every philosophical argument I know, every whatever, then you know how long that their faith will last? Until somebody comes along with one more fact and one more figure than me. When they come back to me, and you've got these people who are tossed back and forth and back and forth. You know, you know some people that are always, they always believe the last person they talk to. They're always on the side of the last person they talk to. If I'm going to out-reason you, if I'm going to out-argue you, if I'm going to be the one who's a better speaker, if you're going to, you know, come to Jesus because you think, wow, you know, just as a good speaker, that's a funny story to tell. Then as soon as somebody comes along who's a better speaker, what happens? Oh, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go, I'm going to be a Buddhist now. Look how good that Buddhist was. You know, Jesus, it was fun. But look, you know, I just, this speaker just really speaks to me. And that happened. I know somebody who, uh, I was talking to somebody who joined a cult. Um, why? He's talking to them, you know the Bible, you know the things they're saying don't match up. You know the pastor that just really spoke to me. As long as your faith is built on something like that, it is only as strong as the person. And everybody is just as weak as you. Paul says, you're being so foolish, Corinthians, breaking these different factions. Of course, not just Corinthians. Americans, we're so bad at this, aren't we? I want you to go to a group of your Conservative friends, and I want you to say a positive thing that somebody who's liberal did. I want you to go to your liberal friends, say a positive thing somebody who's conservative did. And I want you to watch how fast you were, you know, mobbed. And what you can't do. Okay? I think, I told, well, I think that uh, President Trump could cure cancer, or President Obama could have cured cancer, and that people would have said, well, you know, surely he's up to something. No, no positive anything. We're trying to make a political remark. I'm trying to say that we get so divided and so man-centered. God says, that's foolishness. That's not the way things get done. That's not the way the world works. That's not the way I made the world. He said, you want to have power? Be weak. You want to reach people? It's not your skill. It's your weakness. It's what I've done in your life. And so you want a very simple way. You say, well, I still don't know what to do. Pick any method you want. The Romans Road, you can look up anywhere. But the, the idea is really simple. I like to share Jesus without fear for people. It's a, it's a good little method. You talk to somebody, you say, Do you have any religious beliefs? Find out who you're talking to. Do you have any religious beliefs? Then you say, Who's Jesus to you? Now, sometimes that's all you need to say, right? I'll be my own Lord Savior. You say, Do you believe in the heaven and the hell? This is going to give you a sense of that person's understanding. Thank you. Then you say, if you died, what do you think would happen to you? 
marvelous thing is how many people don't believe in heaven and a hell that they're going to heaven when they die. Okay. And then, here's the, here's, the, here's the bullseye. You say, if you were wrong, would you want to know? You say, no. You you know what I'm going to do, and you still kind of get uncomfortable. You're like, yeah, go ahead and tell me. And here, demonstration of spirit and power. This is the nice thing about uh, the shared use without fear. Is you take them down the Roman road or whatever, and you have them read a verse. Say, can you read Romans 3.23 out loud? For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Can you tell me what that means? I guess it means that everybody's sin. And if they get it wrong, do you know what you do? Could you read it again? I'm reading it out loud to you. And then, do you know how many arguments it takes for you to lead somebody to Christ like that? Nothing. Do you know what does the heavy lifting? The Spirit of God is powerful. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You go through it. And I mean, we just look at it. And then you say, maybe uh, you read Romans 6.23 next. Can you read that too? For the wage of sin is death. What does that mean to you? Because a wage is like what you earn. So I guess when you sin, you earn death. Okay, well, can you read the next part of that verse to me? Okay. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does that mean to you? I guess it means that it's a gift. You know, that you don't earn it that God gives you eternal life through Jesus. That's very good. Look down. I can never remember the ones that are on the actual Roman road. Okay, can you read Romans 10, 9 to me? That if thou shalt confess by, with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What's that? Well, if you confess with your heart Jesus is Lord, you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll get that free gift of eternal life. Now, what would keep you from remembering those three verses and turning those three verses? And then you say, it's a good question, you know, what's keeping you from trusting Christ right now? Now, am I saying that you do that and suddenly every person is going to no, because that would be the wisdom of man. If I had a method that was more effective than Jesus' method, which did not reach every person, that'd be a bad method. It'd be man wisdom. But I'm saying you let people read the scripture, you let people look at the power of God, and you let God touch their heart. So you need to be sharing your faith with people. You say, well, you know, that's not going to get me ahead. That's going to make me lose friends or whatever. And you're thinking with the world's wisdom. God's wisdom is Sacrifice yourself for the good of others. God's wisdom is have difficult conversations, make friends with people that you wouldn't normally like on your own so that you can talk to them about what it is 